This morning, we're uh, in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles with you, want to, uh, to turn there in just a moment as we read uh, our scripture for, for today. I do want to um, give you a preview real quick. In a couple weeks, not next week, but the, the following week, we're going to be starting the beginning of a, uh, of a new series called Conversations from the Front Porch. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. I think you're going to enjoy this. I hope you always do to some level. But uh, it is going to be based on a book that I recently read called Eleven. And I'll talk more about that. But it, it deals with the, um, the vital relationships that we need to have in our lives and the indispensable relationships. And the images, and I'll unpack this a little when we get closer, but who are the kind of people we need in our life to have some of those conversations on the front porch with? And so we're going to spend about six weeks looking at some of the, the, the characters from both the Old and New Testament that give, off, give, give us examples and models of the kind of people we need in our lives. So that's coming, so just you'll hear more, and I'll probably announce that again next week, but I want to let you know that that's, that's coming and, and looking forward to it. But for today, we're going to look at a, a different focus, and it's the focus that Peter gives us in his words from the, the book of Acts, his, his understanding of, of a revelation that, that God has given to him. And so we want to pick up Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and, and if you're familiar with the Acts of the Apostles, this happens in the home of Cornelius, the Gentile, who, Peter, who God had sent Peter to to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. And this is what Peter says, beginning at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Some of your Bibles might say partiality. Either one of those, favoritism or partiality. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God of every nation, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our spirits to your word to us today. In these moments, may the seeds be planted, the, the seeds blossom of faith that draws close to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Mom always liked you best. <laughs> Mom always liked you best. There, who said it? Who said it? Smothers Brothers. Tommy Smothers. That was his mantra to his brother, Dickie Smothers. I grew up listening to Smothers Brothers with Dad. And, and Ryan now listens with me to Smothers Brothers. That's classic comedy right there. It is classic stuff. And that was the one. Mother, uh, Mom always liked you best. And you can go. And I, I was listening to some of the, I was, figuring, I was trying to figure out how I could you know, like play some of that in the sermon. But it's, it, it takes too long to unpack. It wouldn't work. And I can't recreate it. So I'm not even going to try. But that idea that, you know, Tommy Smothers was always whining to his brother that mom liked him best. And, and we find humor in that, and we, we laugh at that because we know that's um, counter to what we try, I think, to be as parents. We, we, we work hard, a lot of us, I think most of us, to try to be impartial, to not show favoritism. If, if you said to me, which one of your children do you like the most? I would tell you it's my third child. I only have two, if you're wondering. Um, but we work. We work. Uh, I think Tony, I would say, we try not to, to show favoritism. We try not to do that. And I was reading some, some studies and that I came across that, that said actually that doesn't, that parents do have favorite children. And I'm, oh. but, but the research actually said that, that that's not a, most of the time, that, that's not always the same child. That we do show partiality, we show favoritism, and sometimes because a certain child may need a little more attention or a little more focus or a little more love or a little more encouragement. So, so that tends for most parents to shift throughout the, the lifetime of children. So it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. And, and I still kind of cringe at it a little bit because that's not what we want to be. And whether or not we, we kind of buy into that, and I, I know certain people, some of you are probably thinking, well, I know my parents showed favoritism, and it wasn't me. So um, <laughs> I know that does happen, and, and it's funny. I, I, I didn't really want to ask Ryan or Cassie if they ever thought Tony and I had a favorite, because I'm not sure I want to know the answer, because I want to believe that I'm impartial. But the reality is, in our lives, beyond just being, you know, parent-child relationship, in our lives, we we have to kind of acknowledge, I think, if we're honest, that we don't treat everybody the same. We do have favorites. We have people we treat better than others. We have people that we do more things for others, people that we like more than others, people that we um, give more benefit of the doubt to than others. I mean, we're just not perfect people of love. And I think that the difference between between us is those who acknowledge it and those who don't, honestly. Uh, I, I was um, watching a uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes um, documentary, I guess, about um, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, not the race car driver. Jimmy Johnson, the, the college and NFL coach and the analyst on Fox, if you follow football at all. He coached the Miami Hurricanes, coached the Dallas Cowboys, coached the Miami Dolphins. And they were doing kind of a behind the scenes of his life and his coaching career. And um, they, they were talking about an episode that happened when, when Jimmy Johnson was coach of the Dallas Cowboys. This was in the early 90s when, when the Cowboys were at the kind of the height of their glory. And um, 
he kind of was a tough, iron-fisted coach in many ways. And he recounted the time he came into a team. He was having a team meeting. And there was a, a player on the team, backup linebacker, didn't play a whole lot, but he was part of the team. And he fell asleep in the meeting. And Coach Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, was furious. And he went up and he banged on the table and he cut him on the spot. I mean, kicked him right off the team, right then and there. You're out, you're done. Clean out your locker, it's over for you. And they were kind of talking about this and somebody asked him. They said, Jimmy, what would you have done if that had been Troy Aikman, who was at the time the star quarterback, the, probably the most important guy on the team. What if it had been Troy that had fallen asleep during the meeting? And Jimmy said, I'd have walked right up to him, and I'd have tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, Troy, it's time to wake up now. <laughs> See, that's on. The point was, the point he was making is, and he's like, I didn't treat everybody the same. If you were a star... You got star treatment. If you are able to do more for the team, and, and, and really the undercurrent is, and I think if as a coach you're able to help me achieve my goal, you're going to get preferential treatment. Those who aren't as effective at doing that aren't going to get that kind of treatment. And, you know, we can talk about the right and wrong of that all day long. Tony and I kind of had this debate because I'll bounce ideas off of her during the week, and, we, and, you know, she was kind of appalled by that, and I get that. But I think at some level, we kind of have to recognize we may not be quite as overt. We might not be quite as obvious at that. But I think most of us do it. Most of us live into what I would call partial love. It's, it's part of our human nature. There's, there's the kind of people that we love more easily, that we favor uh, more consistently. For instance, we love people that are lovable. Now, your definition for lovable may be different than mine, but we find it easy to love people who we respect, who have qualities that we admire, who um, achieve things that we wish to achieve or have a status or a position that, that we hold and, and assign value to. You know, we love people that we project lovable qualities upon. That's why we, you know, we live in a celebrity culture where we, people say they love, you know, you ever thought, they, oh, I love him. Oh, I love that musician. I love that actor. Well, really? Do you know him? Well, no, but they're good at what they do, and you value that, so we love them. You know, so we use that kind of, we, we ascribe that kind of love to people, and it could be people closer to us, too, but, but we project that out because there's something about them we admire, we respect, we aspire to. So we talk about Loving the lovable. And, and we love people that reciprocate love, which makes perfect sense. In other words, we love people that love us back. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That kind of love. It's the basis of our, of our friendships. It's the basis of our romances. It's the basis of our marriages, which is we love people that we can do for, and we love people that do for us. And when that relationship becomes too one-sided, very often those relationships end. I mean, if you have a friend who you feel like you are always doing for and they're never there for you, most likely that friendship's probably either not very deep or not going to last. Marriages will fall apart when one, rightfully or wrongly, one per person or a spouse begins to feel that I'm always giving and never receiving. So we, we love people that, that love us back and that... Kind of repaid that. And again, th that's, that's not wrong. 
Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying these are bad qualities. These make perfect sense. To, to love people who we find lovable. To love people who reciprocate that love. And in a far less healthy way, um, we love people we can control. It got kind of quiet. But, but we love people that... that will do what we want them to do when we want them to do it. And we use love sometimes as a weapon that way. When I was about, I hear laughing. I don't know who you're thinking of. I'm not looking at you. Um, when I was about 11 years old, Dad was still serving the church in Jacksonville, which was a small church. And uh, I was part of a little Sunday school group, just a couple of us and a couple teachers. And uh, we decided we were going to go on, a, on an afternoon outing. We are going to go horseback riding. The teachers were going to take uh, the few of us horseback riding. And because we were a small class, they said, you can bring somebody, somebody else. You can bring a friend. Well, I decided that I'd invite my brother, Brian, who's a couple years younger than me. I said, I'll invite Brian to, to come with me. And um, so I did. And Brian was really excited to be able to come. He, like I said, he was about nine at the time. But it was still a few weeks away before we were going to go. And for two weeks, I tormented him <laughs> with this. I, I, I did. I, I, what would happen is we would be out playing, and if he did something I didn't like or wasn't doing what I wanted him to do, I would say, if you don't stop or you don't do what I want you to do, I'm not going to let you come horseback riding. And, he would, and then he would do what I wanted him to do because he so badly wanted to go horseback riding. And if he was watching television... And I wanted to watch something else. You better let me turn the channel or else you're not going to get to go horseback riding. For two weeks, I was rotten. I was. <laughs> He'll tell you ain't nothing changed. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I clubbed him with it. Now, here's the sad irony of the whole story. We got close to the weekend we were going, and he was like in a baseball tournament, and his team kept winning, and he didn't get to go anyway. <laughs> so, and it wasn't even my fault. But, but sometimes we, we use love that way too. And now I don't know many of us are going to admit to it, but what we do, we withhold. If you don't do it, I'm going to withhold that affection. I'm going to withhold that love until you do what I want, and then I'm going to give it back. And these are all the kind of partial ways that, that we tend to love people, the, the partial ways that, that we give love. Now, again, please hear what I'm saying. Controlling love may be different, but, but loving the lovable and, and loving those who reciprocate, that's not wrong. That's perfectly normal. That's human. But the truth is it's also easy. It's easy love. And that's not necessarily the kind of love or the extent. Maybe it is the kind of love God calls us to, but God's love calls us to something more. Because if I was to say to you, all right, Reciprocal love, loving the lovable, even controlling love. Which one of those is the way God loves us? Well, what I'd hope you'd answer is none of those ways. That God's love is deeper than that. That you would remind me, I would hope, of, of texts like today in Acts chapter 10 where Peter says God does not show favoritism. God doesn't show partiality. Or you'd remember, remember texts and you'd say, well, doesn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies? which is the hardest people to love. I mean, isn't that the kind of way that, and, and doesn't God and the Scriptures 
exemplify this complete love? And I would say absolutely. That's exactly true. God loves us. In fact, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, this, this text where, where Peter says God shows no uh, favoritism. The word favoritism in the Greek, it's a, it's a tough word to translate. And it literally means God does not receive our faces. God does not receive our faces. And what that means is that, that God doesn't see us the way that we see us. I mean, you think about when you are at an airport or the mall or um, any place where there's large crowds, especially full of unfamiliar people. Think about how quick your brain calculates based on appearance. Think about what you see when you, when you look. I mean, we make decisions about people based on their skin color. We make decisions based ab- about people based on their body type, uh, based on their clothing, based on their hairstyle, based on whether they have tattoos, uh, all kinds of things that we immediately assign qualities to people. Oh, that person is a native or a foreigner. That person is educated or uneducated. That person is lazy or hardworking. That person is safe or dangerous. And we do all of that based on that immediate external data that we receive. Well, I think what Peter wants to say to us is that God doesn't judge us based on that. God sees deeper. It reminded me of what God says to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 when Samuel's out to anoint the king of the next king of Israel and he's looking through all of Jesse's sons and he keeps saying, well, this must be the king because this guy's handsome. This must be the next king because this guy's well-built. This must be the the next king because this guy's rugged. And God says, stop. He says, stop. Stop looking on the outward appearance. That's the way man sees. That's the way humans see. But, but God looks beyond that. God looks at the heart. And that, that's what Peter has come to realize. He said that God, God sees deeper than we see, and his love is deeper and, and more profound. And, and I, I think most of us would go, absolutely, yes, God loves all people. God shows no favoritism. God is impartial. And then my question would be, great, we are all saying the right thing. Are we living it? Are, are, are we living it? Not are we saying it, but does our behavior, is it consistent with our theology, with our proclamation, with, with what we say, assuming that we would agree that God loves all people with no favoritism? Because I think we like the idea. Deep down, a lot of us like the idea that God has favorites on one condition. I saw something this week I want to show you because I thought if there's ever a shirt I need, it's this one. So if you'll give me permission to get a little casual. All right, don't freak out. Don't freak out, all right? But, but I, I think that sometimes we can learn a lot about the way we think through, no, it's not Duke. It's not Duke. Can you read that? (laughs) For those of you in the back, it says, if you can't read it because I know it's small, it says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) 
And we laugh at that. And I laugh and we chuckle. But I think sometimes we, we kind of behave that way. And we're okay with that. See, I'm okay with God having favorites. As long as I'm his favorite. I'm okay with mom and dad having a favorite as long as it's me. And we say, no, God doesn't do that. But sometimes we live that way. We communicate that in, in our behavior and the way that we live the love of God. And See, that's, that's what Peter, see, that's the aha moment Peter had in this text in, in Cornelius when God sends him to Cornelius who is a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. He's a faithful Jew, and if you remember the story, when, when he kind of gets this vision to go to Cornelius, he's thinking, I, don't want, I can't go and have a meal with him. I can't go into his household. That's forbidden. That's against the law. That's, that's not what a good Jewish person does, because Peter would have said to you, I'm part of the chosen people. You know, the Jews were God's chosen the problem was Peter didn't have a good understanding of what God's chosen meant. See, Peter believed that being God's chosen meant it was a privilege. I was chosen. I'm part of this community, and we're the favorite, and that means we're privileged. And God says, no, 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 no. You're not chosen for privilege. You're chosen for responsibility. That's very, very different. Yes, Jesus was Jewish. Yes, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Yes, the Savior of the world came through the Jewish community. What Peter realizes is it's not just for the Jewish community. And Peter's a slow learner. I like Peter because he'd spent three years with Jesus, and he'd seen the example of Jesus, and he still didn't get it. He'd he'd seen the resurrection of Jesus, and he still didn't get it. He saw what happened at the day of Pentecost, and he still didn't completely get it, though I think he was getting closer with each step. But with his encounter with Cornelius and his vision from God, he gets it. God doesn't show favoritism. God's message and the message of Christ and love is for all people, whether they look like me, think like me, behave like me, share my heritage, share my skin color, share whatever. It's not just for me. In other words, Peter says, gosh, maybe I'm not God's favorite. Maybe we're God's favorite. That's important distinction. We have to be careful in how we love. Look, we're not perfect and I don't, there's, there's few, if any, of us that ever achieve those moments of, of perfection. You know, in Methodism we talk about we're striving for, for, for perfection. And John Wesley believed there were moments where we could experience that perfect love of Christ. But even those who experience that, not only know it but share it, those moments are fleeting. They're, they're few and far between. We're not perfect. We, we love with a partial love. We don't love with the complete love of God. But because we fall short, it doesn't change God's standards or God's ideal. It doesn't soften or diminish our responsibility to strive for it and to not view people as second-class citizens in, in God's economy, not to see God's love as some sort of a, a hierarchy in which we're just a step closer than others. God loves everyone, and He desires for all men and women to come to a saving relationship through Jesus Christ, to come to faith. We are the chosen who have been called by God through faith to share that message. How well do we live it? 
How well does our love shine through? It is a challenging, difficult thing. If I started to ask you to take mental notes of the hardest people in your life to love, you probably wouldn't have a hard time coming up with at least a few people. I don't believe for a second you're going to walk out of here and that's all of a sudden going to be easy. In fact, it's never going to be easy. And again, I think Jesus says, have I come to show you easy things? Jesus calls us to a new way, to a new way to understand our value, but to also understand others' values. God plays no favorites, no favorites. That's good news. That really is good news for all of us. God values us. He loves us. He treasures us. So I want you to internalize that hope. But I want you to also to start to challenge yourself to see through those lenses, those people who are hardest in your life to love, individuals, communities, groups, whatever, to see them as God sees them, as people that he sent his son Jesus Christ for. And you may be the instrument he uses to share that love, that we be faithful to that, that this would just be a joke that we can chuckle about, but let it not, let it not be the character of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we thank you that you love us all with a love that we can't begin to, to fully grasp. That is good news. And we ask that you just help us to, to make a step today to, to love others a little deeper, a little more complete. We are imperfect creatures called in the ways of a perfect Savior. But we don't walk that and strive for that alone because you're with us and you make each step possible. Help us to trust in you, rest on you, and to start to see as you see. To love, to be loved in the way of Christ our Lord. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.